God. Let's stand up together. We're going to pray, and I just want to invite you to put your hand over your heart. We're not going to do the Pledge of Allegiance right now. It's for another time. But we're just intentionally just setting our heart and our mind, uh, focusing it on the Lord. And, Father, we just thank you for this opportunity. We just give you our affections, our focus, our attention right now. And, Lord, we ask that your word would challenge us and change us as we receive it and apply it. Thank you, Father, that you bring freedom and victory through your word, through your truth. As we continue in your word, then we're showing that we're your disciples, and then we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. So we thank you for that freedom ahead of time. We thank you for your goodness, and I thank you, Father, that I will receive your message today. And we just thank you for blocking out distractions. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you go ahead and, and put your phones on stun, you Trekkies know what I'm talking about, right? Put them on silent for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about. Because if I hear your phone, I'm going to call you out. Just kidding. All right, here's what I'm going to ask you to do for me. We're going to do something real quick. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do, and then you can do it, because then you can decide if you're going to do it or not, all right? Uh, I'm going to ask you to think of, bring to your mind a memory, a really good memory, whether it's a a fun family vacation, whether it's um, just whatever, just a very, very good memory that you have. And I'm going to ask you to pull that up, go through the files, pull it up. And then in a few moments, when you signal to me that you have a memory, then I'm going to ask you to think about it for a few minutes. Okay? So go ahead and close your eyes. And that's all we're going to do. So close your eyes and think of a good memory. And then when you have one, raise your hand. That way you can signal to me that I know you've got one. Got one locked and engaged. And if you don't have one, just make one up. Not just kidding. A few more moments. Good memory. It can be a memory of your children being born. That probably wouldn't be the mom, but the dad. Who's fond of that memory? Being married or something. Just a good, wonderful memory that you have. Okay, raise your hand if you have one. Okay, keep your eyes closed. And now I want you to just to think on that memory. I'm going to give you about 10 to 15 seconds just to think about that. Just play with that memory in your, in your mind. Go. You can put your hands down. Okay, you can open your eyes. Thank you. I just want to ask you a couple of questions, and and I don't want you to answer these out loud, but I just want you to think about them. How did you feel during that time as you were thinking about that memory? How did you feel? Were there some emotions that you experienced, like joy, peace, excitement? How did you feel during that time? All right, and we'll come back to that in a moment. What I want to do tonight, I had an idea. Of, well, actually, I had a sermon all lined up, ready to go. And then the Lord said, I want you to share something else. It's like, oh. And, and it wasn't that he changed his mind. It was that I finally locked into what he was saying in the first place. But I felt like he wanted me, those of you who were here last week, Uh, when Lisa shared on loving God with your mind. Whether you were here or were not here, I would encourage you to listen to that. It's on the podcast now. Um, Very powerful word, very, very insightful, very powerful. But the main thing she talked about was loving God with our mind. We read out of Mark chapter 12, verse 29 through 31. Someone asked Jesus, Jesus, what is the most important commandment? 
out of all the commandments. And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, emphasis mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. There's no greater commandment than these. But the emphasis we've all heard, most of us have heard this um, this commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it's easy for us to pass right over the where it talks about mind. And she says, and she was sharing last week, how the Lord is inviting us to love him with our minds and how important that is. And then she shared about the children of Israel and the Old Testament and everything. So I would strongly recommend that you listen to that message on the podcast. And what I want to talk about, I want to kind of piggyback off that message and talk about, well, how do we do that practically? She mentioned a verse about taking every thought captive. How do we do that? And that's what I want to talk about today, how we can practically do that. And what we're going to talk about today is changing the way you think. Changing the way you think. And before we get into the hows, I just want to share a few truths. I believe I have four truths that I want you to get. The first one is, is I get to love God with my mind. I get to love God with my mind. I'm invited to love God with my mind. And as we go through this, we'll understand the importance of loving God with our mind. And number two, I will be transformed if I change the way I think. So the first one is I I get to love God with my mind. The second one is I will be transformed if I change the way I think. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, out of the New Living Translation, says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. So in other words, there's a way the world thinks. The, there's, there's a pattern. There's a custom. There's something that the world does, that we learn in the world, and he's saying, let's not be like the world. But let's be transformed. Let's let God change us. How many of you guys realize that God is in the business of changing us? He wants to make us more like himself, more like Jesus. Why is it that a person can be born again and be a Christian for 30 years? Maybe you met them the day they were born again and you, you still know them, and 30 years later, they're still kind of the same person. They're still the same. I mean, they're older, of course, but they're still the same. The same the way they act, the way they talk, the way they think, and and their behavior, it's still the same. But yet you can meet a Christian or a person who gets born again, and maybe you run into them two years later, and it's like, wow, this person is different. Maybe they were a wreck. Maybe they went through all kinds of abuse and horrific circumstances growing up. They surrendered their lives to the Lord. You run into them two years later, and you almost don't even recognize them. Not physically, but they're so different. It's like what happens from a person being born again for 30 years and not changing and a person being born for two years and being totally different? The way you think. The Bible says to let God change you or transform you by changing the way you think. So I will be transformed if I change the way I think. Number three. I have powerful weapons available to me. I have powerful weapons available. A lot of times we can think that we're hopeless and helpless, and I'm a victim of my circumstances, and the things that happened to me weren't my fault, but I can't do anything about the way I behave. Remember the song that we were singing earlier about how my past will not determine who I will be? Remember the song we just sang? My past will not determine who I will be. Now, your past can determine. You can let your past mistakes, your past failures, your past tragedies, you can allow that to define who you are and who you're going to be. Or you can embrace what the cross has made available, and your future, your current and future can be changed because of what Jesus made available. Are you with me? Are you hearing me? Are you alert? All right, just checking. Just checking. So I have powerful weapons available to me. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5. 
It says, for the weapons of our warfare. Do you guys realize that we're in a war? There is a war, and we have weapons. If you were in a war and you didn't have weapons, then you'd be in a lot of trouble. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians are in a war. They have weapons at their disposal, but they're sitting on the ground. They're not using them, and they're getting just clobbered and just whipped up all over the place. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, which means fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. These weapons are mighty for the sake of pulling down strongholds. Casting down imaginations. Where are our imaginations at? Right there. So we're talking about strongholds. Imaginations can turn into strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every what? Every thought to the obedience of Christ. So we're talking about bringing down strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. How do we do that? How do we do that? Truth number four. What I meditate on is extremely important. What I meditate on is extremely important. And Lisa shared this verse last week. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. It says, finally, brethren. So he tells a whole bunch of good stuff. And and, and in verse 6 in this same chapter, he says not to be anxious for anything or to worry about anything. But instead he says to do something else. In that passage, you guys remember, familiar with that? Do not be anxious for anything. Do not be anxious for some things. Do not be anxious for anything. You know, people think that it's okay to worry. Do you realize that worrying is a sin? Do you realize that? Now, of course, we're not going to actually say that. Because I do it all the time, and so I'm not going to say I'm sinning all the time. But the worry is a sin because the Bible says not to, and if you do it, then guess what? You're disobeying, right? Worrying is probably one of the most accepted sins in America, along with fear. But the Bible says do not worry. So he talks about that in verse 6, and then he goes down in verse 8, and then he says, finally, brethren, which I believe is a is also talking about, here's how you not worry. But he says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Another translation says, or set your mind on these things. Meditate or set your mind on these things. What things? The things I'm worrying about? No. Whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good rep- of good report, of any virtue, and praiseworthy, meditate on these things. What I meditate on is extremely important. Do you realize, you know, why is it that you can watch a movie, a totally fictitious movie, Okay, let's not, let's not talk about the historical stuff that's true, but the fictitious stuff like Marvel or whatever, some show that we know is absolutely false. Now, if I just burst your bubble, I'm so sorry. If, 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 never mind. I don't want to hurt any more feelings. But why is it that we can watch something, a movie, and see a character that we're fond of or whatever, and something happens or whatever, and we start crying? We start crying. We start having these emotions. Or we get angry. And you throw the remote through the TV. <laughs> or we, we laugh and we have all this joy and we're excited and we feel good. And yet we're watching something that's totally false. See, your subconscious experiences all these emotions and everything and it thinks it's real. See, what you meditate on is, what you meditate on is important because it de- dictates and determines your emotional being. I mean, think about it. You can watch a movie that's not true, and you're crying, you're laughing, you're having all these, you're mad. You know, you watch a movie, and maybe your favorite character gets killed, and so you're ticked off with your wife all day, and she's like, what's wrong? Nothing. Just leave me alone. And you're pretty upset because of something fake that happened. You know what I'm talking about? What you meditate on is very important. 
Because it will determine your emotional state. There's a verse in the Bible that says, as a man thinks, so is he. As a man thinks, so is he or she. You know, earlier I asked you to meditate on and think on a a wonderful memory of something that happened in the past. And so you might have thought of whatever you thought of. And you probably, how many of you started experiencing wonderful emotions? And it's like, wow, oh yeah, that was so awesome. Oh, how many of you guys experienced emotions? And you're, you're not experiencing that reality. You just had a thought, right? But you were meditating. See, I encourage you to meditate, think about. So you were setting your mind on something that happened in the past, something good, and then it was eliciting positive emotions. As a man thinks, so is he. It is very important what you meditate on. And so imagine how destructive and destructive, how dan- damaging, how dangerous meditating on negative things, meditating on problems, meditating on things. You know what's interesting? Because the story last week of the children of Israel, when we, remember when they sent out the, ten, the 12 spies to go check out the land and check out the land that God's going to give us, but just go check it out and see what it's like. And they came back and 10 spies came back. Well, they all came back and said, man, the milk, the land is flowing. It is amazing. It's awesome. But 10 of them said, however, and they started giving this bad report. There's these giants, there's problems, blah, 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 all that stuff. And then two, two spies said, wait a minute, hold on a second. The land is amazing. Okay, there's problems. But guess what? God said, we're going to take over. We're going to take it. He's going to give it to us. And the people believed the report of the ten versus the report of the two. Why is it? Let me ask you this. Why is it so easy to believe negativity than it is to believe positivity? It's so much easier to not believe God, but to believe the negative things. It's it's so easy to partner with fear. It is so easy to partner with fear. And that's why the news is so, the news sells. News on TV, newspapers and everything, it sells because there's a lot of negativity. How many of you would agree with that? A lot of negativity. It's mostly negative. You know, last night, the news is on, and it was like story after story after story. These people got killed. This person got shot. This person got stabbed. This person is like, wow. But it's like we're addicted to that. It's like somehow it brings some kind of something. I don't even know if comfort. Comfort's not the word. But I think it's so easy for us to partner with that. We're so used to that. And then when someone tries to come in and bring truth Agreeing with what God says, we're like, oh, no, that's a bunch of lies. We, don't, we can't agree with that. We can't partner with that. Ten men said, the boogeyman is going to get us. And two spies said, no, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna win. We're going to prevail. And we read the story. We see what everybody agreed with. And you know what it says? They cried all night long. Isn't that crazy? They cried all night long. They were saying, oh, no, our, our wives and our children are going to be kidnapped and taken as plunder. Oh, my goodness, we're going to be, oh, it's going to be horrible. And they just, their imagination became a stronghold. They had partnered with fear, and they came into agreement with it. And they just went down that road, and it became reality to them. So much so that their emotions, they were grieving, and it says they cried all. It didn't say they just cried for a few moments and then went on their day. They cried all night long. And then, it, because it became the reality, then they began to do things along the lines of what they believed and came in agreement with. They were going to fire the leaders, raise up new leaders that were going to take them back to Egypt. Because that sounded like a good idea. Go back into the prison that you just came out of. And see, it shows how imaginations, if they're not captured, they can turn into strongholds. And that becomes your reality. It becomes your reality. Lisa was sharing last week how she would just start thinking about us having an accident and her husband dying. And then she would start crying. And it wasn't even real. 
But in her mind, see, fear was trying to, to partner with her. I remember one time, this is kind of crazy, and I don't even, well, I think it kind of gives an example of this. We were driving up to South Dakota, and we were going through the, the beautiful, luscious, gorgeous state of Nebraska that has all this beautiful scenery. I mean, have you seen so many ears of corn before? Wow, corn, more corn, wow, this is so beautiful. If you're from Nebraska, I'm sorry. But we were driving through Nebraska and it, uh, on our way to South Dakota, and it, it got dark. And the road, it was a two-lane highway we were going, you know, one lane each way. And all you can see is the headlights, you know, coming at you. And my imagine this is weird. I don't even know how, how this started, what, what I was thinking. But I guess I was bored, so I was entertaining myself. Because I don't know if everybody was asleep or what. I don't know if we had kids. I don't know if it was just you and I or whatever. But we were going, and I guess I was bored trying to stay awake. And so I was driving. And then what I would do is as the car was coming, it's like I would imagine it coming over to my lane and causing a head-on collision. And so I was just like playing these scenes of collisions in my brain. <laughs> now, that was a good idea, wasn't it? But here's what happened. And this is, this is really crazy. All of a sudden... I started feeling like it was going to really happen. And every time a car would come, I started experiencing anxiety. And I would kind of pull over, probably more than I should. But all of a sudden, it's like my heart rate, I would just get nervous. And then it just kept going on. It's like, what in the world is going on? This is weird. And I was really becoming afraid. That imagination turned into a stronghold. And my emotions were being pulled and guided by that reality that was now in my thinking. It's so easy to partner with fear. It's so easy to partner with fear. So the point is, it's very important what we meditate on. What we meditate on is extremely important. What you meditate on will have a major impact on your emotions and your well-being. You know, when you are convinced about something concerning an individual, everything they say or do will only confirm what you already believe about them. If you already believe something about a person and you're convinced, then everything they say or do will convince you that, yep, 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 I was right, yep, mm-hmm, I knew it. I, you see the way she looked at me? Mm-hmm. Are you guys know what I'm talking about? You know, last week, Lisa and I experienced this. I'm going to tell on Lisa. <laughs> Actually, it was both of us. And I think Benjamin even participated because I sucked him into this. He's not even in here. He must have known I was going to bring this up. But a few weeks ago, we were with, in California, we saw our boys and everything. And Bryant made the comment. He said, hey, I'll see you guys in a few weeks. I'm coming. He's, he's wanting to come home. So he just made a comment. He always says that. Man, I want to come home. I miss you guys. I want to come home. So he said, I'll see you guys in a couple of weeks or something like that. So anyway, last week, typically, um, if, I, if I miss Brian, I said, hey, call me when you're available. Give me no emergency. Just call me. And so as soon as he can, it may be, it may be a few hours later or a few moments later, he'll call me and say, hey, what's up? And we'll just talk and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. So if he, if he can't talk to me right away, I know he's going he's gonna to eventually call me or talk to me. Well, he wouldn't respond, reply, thinking, that's unusual. Why would he not? I mean, I'm his dad. I deserve at least a little text or something, right? And plus, that's what he always did. So I figured something's not right. Then I remembered something he said a few weeks ago. Hey, I'll see you guys soon. I'm coming home. See you in a couple weeks. I thought, aha. I know what's happening. Hey, Lisa, guess what? Oh, yeah, because of someone they know. I mean, trying to surprise and everything. Well, they like to pull surprises. You know, they like to come. Like my oldest son, uh, a month or two ago, he came home. He just showed up. And, of course, there was a lot of screaming. Ah! You know, Trey just showed up in the house. He didn't announce that he was coming. And, of course, we were pleasantly surprised. 
And in the past, the boys, when they would try to come home, sneak home and not let their mom know, they'd let me know so I could be in on it, so I can kind of plan and navigate and all that kind of stuff. So they like to pull surprises. So that is important backdrop. That's So knowing my son is this way, aha, Brian's trying to come home. He doesn't want to talk to me because he doesn't want to blow his cover. So he's planning a trip to come home. So it's like, oh, the, trip, the planes that land in Stillwater land at 1.15 and 9.40. So either he's coming home around 2 o'clock or 10 o'clock. So when 2 o'clock would roll around, we're kind of waiting, you know, looking outside. Looking at my text, you know, it didn't happen on that day. Oh, yeah, why? It wouldn't, he wouldn't come home today anyway because he's probably working. So to, tomorrow, yes. <laughs> Yes, coming home tomorrow. So another day came. Oh, yeah, anytime he should be coming home. And then, so days kept going on. It's like, wait a minute, what's this knucklehead doing? And then, then Lisa texted him or said something to him. And then he threw at her a bunch of pictures of him and his girlfriend. You know, just bam. She's like, what? And it was pictures of him and her outside, you know, at the park and that kind of thing. And it's like, mm-hmm, I know what he's doing. I know what he's doing. He's trying to make us think he's still in California. I got this figured out. But what he's doing is he's on an airplane somewhere or about to load an airplane somewhere. He's about to come, but he wants us to think he's in California. It was like, look, he's not even good at it because all the pictures had him in different colored shirts. Like, dude, come on. I'm smarter than this. So this went on another day, another day. Then I thought, Lisa, I got it. I know it. I'm so smart. See, Julia, my daughter, had a track meeting, uh, state track meeting yesterday in, in Arkansas, Fayetteville. And the boys that, you know, we've been letting them know, hey, your sister is amazing. She's doing this. Encourage So they've been encouraging her, partnering with her in, um, in her endeavor and everything, all excited and everything. I thought, I know what he's going to do. I got it. He's coming to Fayetteville to surprise us all, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. He didn't show up. No, matter of fact, matter of fact, he called me yesterday. I'm like, no, it was, yes, no, it was uh, Friday. He called me Friday. I'm like, oh, here we go. I'm expecting, because he said, hey, Dad, what you doing? I said, oh, we're just at the bowling alley, you know, in Fayetteville, just waiting for him to say, oh, you know, I was thinking, okay, he's probably at the hotel, you know, missed us and wonder where we're at. And so, yeah, we're at the bowling alley, having a great time. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, I just got off work. What do you mean you just got off work? No, you didn't. You didn't just get off work because you're probably. He never showed up. Yeah. This ain't funny, y'all. He never showed up. My reality and my brain said he's coming. And when he would do something, when he'd say, like, hey, I'll call you in a couple hours or I'll do this, aha, aha, I got this all figured out. My reality wasn't reality. But to me, it was. And everything I believed and everything I did lined up with my reality, which wasn't reality. Are you with me? Whatever we meditate on is extremely important. What we believe. I mean, we had developed, or I had developed a stronghold, and I pulled Lisa and Benjamin into the vortex. You know, we never told Julia, poor girl. It's a good thing, actually, because she didn't suffer all the stuff, the anguish that we did. But I had this belief, and it turned into a stronghold. Now, fortunately, that wasn't a bad one. That was kind of fun. I mean, we were sad. We were bummed when we realized he wasn't coming, which he's still coming sometime because that's what he said. But how often... Do we lock in a thought or belief about somebody? And no matter what they say or do, mm-hmm. And we just believe we believe the worst. I mean, like you already think, like Amy may have, I'm thinking she has, she's upset with me. And all of a sudden I look over at her and she looks at me like, uh, you see the way she looked at me? She did it, see, she did it again. And it's like there's nothing she can do to be okay in my thinking. 
Because I have this stronghold of negativity towards her. And it's my reality, but it's not real reality. Does that make sense? So we have to be careful what we meditate on. What we meditate on is very important, and it will impact our emotions and our well-being. Okay, how do you change the way you think? Let me give you four quick, simple, tried and true. Giving away for half price today. How to change the way you think. Number one, recognize when you're having a negative thought pattern. That's the first thing is, you know, we can be so used to having negative thought patterns that we don't even realize that we're doing it. It's just our way of thinking. Our way of thinking. Whether it's fear we grab a hold of and we're worrying and worrying and what if I lose my job tomorrow? What if my boss fires me? Then how are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to... How are we going to take care of my family? How am I going to pay them more? How? And, you know, you're just kind of going down this. Maybe your spouse has gone, you know, gone on a trip or gone out of town. What if something happens to them and they don't come back? And I'm here with the kids up on myself. Wait a minute. She does this or he does it. How am I going to? And we can partner with stuff and it become a natural part of our thought process that we're not even aware of it. So, first of all, we have to be aware of a negative thought pattern that we're having. So what I would encourage you to do is ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, would you help me to recognize when I'm having this negative thought pattern? Ask him. He is our helper. God sent him back to us to help us. So ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, would you help me to recognize? Please help me. Guess what he'll do? He'll help you. Why would he not? Why would he not? Doesn't he invite us to ask him for help? So ask, recognize, excuse me, the first thing is recognize when you have a negative thought pattern and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Number two, acknowledge it. So when you recognize a thought pattern that's negative, that's going down fear or whatever, number two, acknowledge it as sin and repent of it. Taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought captive. To the obedience of Christ. So if it's in disobedience to Christ, we need to take it captive and make it obey. So these negative thought patterns, for example, like worry or anxiety, it is sin. Now, sin is missing the mark. If God says, do this, if he says, don't worry, and I worry, then guess what? I missed the mark. I missed, I violated his law. I violated his desire, his will. And we can't. Folks, remember we're in war. Remember this is a war, a warfare. The enemy is the father of lies. His description is to steal, kill, and destroy, right? We understand that? John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus called him the father of lies. So he's going to do everything he can to get you to partner with him and believe a lie so he can kill, steal, and destroy you. So if you're in the habit of partnering with that fear, that anxiety, then guess what? You're giving him permission to bring destruction in your life. So it's time to wage war, and we can't play with this stuff anymore. We have to recognize these negative thought patterns as sin and call it out. Because there has to be a repentance. If it's like, oh, it's not that big a deal, then it's going to continue to destroy you. How often do relationships get destroyed because of our thought process towards that person? Whether it's our spouse. You know, I remember one time when we were first married. She's not in here, so I can tell this without getting in trouble. I'm no, just kidding. When we were first married, and we, we had and we still have a budget, and Lisa had X amount of dollars to spend on groceries in our budget, right? Well, she'd come home, and she'd bought these groceries, and then I would see the receipt or find out how much she spent, and it would be like she spent X plus a dollar, or plus a quarter, or something like that. Not X plus $20, X plus 30. We're talking dollars, like a dollar or whatever. And I'm like, why did you spend the extra dollar? I mean, you know the budget's X amount, right? She goes, yeah, I knew that. So why does it say X plus? And she'd say, well, because what I was thinking was, now here's my thought process. You know, I'm young, and I'm stupid, newly married, and I'm thinking, okay, she wants to do what she wants to do. 
Anybody with me so far? She wants to do, so what she's doing is she knows what she's supposed to spend, but she's going to spend a little extra anyway just because. That was my thought process. And so when she would do that, I would develop this attitude. I wasn't the pastor back then, so it was okay. I would develop this attitude like, why? And it became, in my mind, a big deal. And then she would say, because I'd say, like, I mean, you have your calculator, right? Now, back then, we didn't have cell phones. So I know some of the young people can't understand that. But we didn't have cell phones. But so she would take a calculator to work, I mean, to work. She'd take it to the grocery store or whatever. And so she would add it up and all that kind of thing. I'm like, you had the calculator, right? She goes, yeah. So why? There's this extra. And it would be things like she would realize when she was in line that, you know, she had too much. And there was a line behind her. So she didn't have, you know, didn't want to go take it back because that would just cause more problems. And, or sometimes she'd make a mistake on the calculator. And it ended up being three cents over or something like that. Now I'm being silly. It wasn't that bad, okay? <laughs> but in other words, there was a logical reason why she went over. It had nothing to do with her attitude. Had nothing to do with rebellion. Had nothing to do with any of that. But I, Mr. Smart one here, thought it did. Now, how often does something like that really mess up our, our relationships? We think someone's doing something because they're trying to get back at me or because they're whatever, and that has nothing to do with their intentions at all. But we think it does. So guess what? My reality says this, so guess what my attitude is going to be towards that person? And the enemy loves to destroy relationships like that. Does that make sense? So, number two, we need to acknowledge it as sin and repent of it. And number three, invite your father into the process. Heavenly Father, this whole thing only works inside of a relationship with Jesus. In other words, ask Daddy, how do you want me to think about this person or this situation? In other words, if I'm, having, if I'm stuck in this loop of this negative thing, I'm having conflict with this person, I keep thinking, maybe they did something to me in the past, and when I think about them, all of a sudden, the anxiety comes up. I begin to have these negative thought patterns and everything, and I'm getting anxious and mad and angry and all that, that kind of stuff. When you recognize that and repent and stop, and then ask the Father, Lord, what do I do? I invite you. Would you help me? What do I do? How do you want me to think about this person or this, or this situation? A lot of times with me, all of a sudden, these scriptures will come up. And here's a particular one that he when I was really having a hard time with a certain situation with these people who I was definitely perceiving as my enemies because they were taking me to court. And the Lord brought this up. It was Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, excuse me, 43 and 44. says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. And, then he, and I believe he, this is how we love our enemies. He says, but I say love your enemies. And he says, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and, per and persecute you. So these people were my perceived enemies and they were acting like it. And in this situation, it was really a bad situation. It wasn't just my imagination. So we're not just talking about just things that aren't even true. You may have had someone that, have, that abused you or really wrongfully treated you. They really did something wrong. Okay, so we're talking about real situations, reality. And I said, Lord, what do I do? And he helped me. And he said, you need to love them. It's like, well, how? And he said, do good. No, he said, bless them. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them and pray for those that despitefully use you. Do good to those that hate you. And he showed me how to do it. And so every time I would begin to think of these people, which was all the time because of the situation. So when I would think of them, that was a trigger to remind me to pray for them. So I began to bless them. I began to pray for them. And at first it wasn't working. I was praying for them, praying for them, praying for them, praying for them. The anxiety was still there. The anger was still there. The bitterness was still there. But then the Lord said, no, I want you to pray for them as you would want them to pray for you if the situation was reversed. So I began to pray for them with emotion out of a full heart. And what happened was my emotions and my thoughts towards them began to change. And because I chose to love them practically, that became my reality. That became how I began to view them. Even though their actions towards me did not change, my thought process towards them began to change. And I began to experience peace inside. I began to experience the freedom. 
And so when I thought of them, even though we were still in the midst of this chaos, it was the scariest moment in my life or time in my life. I was being sued. I was being taken to court. It was a full-blown court battle. And I was terrified, actually. And so I was having these thoughts. I wanted to put aside Christianity and go lay on of hands and not in a healing kind of way. I mean, I was really upset, really upset. And the Lord, I invited him into this process. And one thing I want to say is, is I'm not talking about a formula. Do one, two, three, four, and you're good. Out of your relationship with him, in the midst of your relationship with him, then you ask him, Lord, help me. Because it's not like you're doing your own thing, which is what a lot of us do. We're doing our own thing. We get in trouble, and we say, hey, I need help. And then we want to invite him to help us. We're good, and then we move on our way, and we just kind of leave Jesus in our closet. But it's out of relationship. Out of relationship with the Father that we already have, we invite him into this mess that we are dealing with. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So if you lack wisdom, ask him. He's wanting us to invite him in to our wisdom, to our situation. A lot of times he'll, he'll remind you of a scripture. A lot of times he'll remind you of a scripture. A lot of times he'll remind you of a testimony of someone else who went through a similar circumstance that will help you and bring hope to you. And number four, apply the solution he gives you. You might agree with his word, but will you believe it in the midst of the battle? A lot of times when scriptures quote, it's like, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I agree with that. But whether you really believe it or not will be how you apply that or if you apply it in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the battle. I remember another situation that I was challenged with was when we took Bryant, my second son, 1,600 miles away to California, the Lord said, your job is to get him there. He was going to ministry school there. And when we were taking him, he didn't have all the finances that he needed to be able to start school. But we helped him as far as we could. And the Lord said, your job is to get him there. That's it. So we got him there, 1,600 miles away. And then I remember as we're leaving, a couple of days later, we help him get situated, move in with his roommates and all that kind of stuff. He's still a few hundred dollars shy. School starts in a few days. I think we dropped him off on a Friday or Saturday or something like that, and school starting on Tuesday. 